I'm going to read the first 11 verses of the second chapter of John and get right into this. <clears throat> On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that's in your word. I thank you for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would anoint us to be able to hear what you want to say to us and may it change our lives in the ways that you want us to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, look at somebody close to you and go, uh, you need to change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, some of you have been wanting to say that to that person for a long time. But you don't have to admit it. You can blame it on me. Our uh, Protestant roots in Puritanism have caused us to clearly not associate Jesus with things that rock or things that are fun. And when we think of Jesus going to a, a dinner party, we, uh, we tend to have more of a, a vision of Downton Abbey in mind than, uh, than a, a tailgate party. But you know what? Jesus would actually be comfortable at both because he, he created everything. So that's, that's fine. But we kind of exclude part of that equation and only go, well, you know, he'd really, only, he'd really only be at the one where everybody acted holy. And we forget the fact that Jesus was often criticized for the places he went and the people that he hung out with. In fact, that, that was probably the biggest uh, whispering campaign, if you will, that was used against him. Uh, over in Matthew uh, eleven nineteen. It says, the Son of Man, he said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. He's, he's talking about himself and John the Baptist. He said, when John the Baptist came, he didn't do any of this stuff. And they went, well, he's demon-possessed. He didn't do any of that stuff. And the Son of Man comes, and he acts like a regular person. And they go, well, he's a, glut he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Well, of course he wasn't because those are sins and he never sinned. But people talk 
and you really can't make people happy regardless of what you do but wisdom is proved right by her deeds in other words he was saying you know the proof is in the pudding if you will uh, what the actual results are uh, really proves whether or not I, I do right or I do wrong after Matthew was called uh, to be one of the disciples Matthew was a tax collector tax collectors were bad guys in those days and uh, while he was having dinner at Matthew's house, once, oh, and once Matthew got saved, he threw a party and invited a bunch of sinners to it to meet Jesus. What a good idea. When's the last time you threw a party and invited a bunch of sinners to it to meet Jesus? Well, why not? So anyway, he's, he's at this party and uh, some Pharisees, I, I don't know what they were doing there, but the, they were there, they saw this, and they asked the disciples, why does your master eat with, with, uh, with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it, it's, not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. In other words, he's saying... What I really desire is I desire you to show my nature to people around you. That's more important than ritual. Now, you know, it's, it's okay to do both, but if you can only got one, this is the one that I prefer. This is the one that's most important. So what am I saying here? This is not a call to go out and sin, but it is a reminder that you don't go to Mexico to see polar bears. You don't go to... Alaska to see flamingos you know you don't go fishing in a field and if you if you want to I mean we all hang out with sinners but the kind of sinners we hang out with are the ones who won't admit that they are <laughs> I knew you'd like that uh, <laughs> how can we be what does it mean to be saved to be salt and light in the church in the church to be salt and light and in the world in the world and and you gotta you gotta go where they are what do you like to do what has God wired you to do now I'm not saying what are you tempted by because what you're tempted by you probably need to avoid those places but you know what what did God hardwire you for you know you like to fish or hunt or uh, I don't know theater you like to do theater you like to dance you know and I was trying to think of some things that women like to do uh, and they do like to do theater and, and dance and stuff but um, the women in the early service told me two things they said they like to have their nails done I went, okay all right yeah all right you can go and they like to um, uh, throw pots which can be taken one of two ways Never mind. Okay. Uh, whatever it is you truly enjoy, hey, get out there and do it. Find you some sinners. Alice Tabor liked square dancing, so she went square dancing. She found her a sinner, turned him into a husband. <laughs> I don't know that she did much about the center part, but she got him saved, so he's at least redeemed now, you know. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, party. I love the reality of the 
of the exchange between Jesus and his mom. It's just so real. Mom comes up to, to, problem with, uh, to son with, with a problem. They, they have no more wine. Now, I, I know how to ingratiate myself to the women here at the church, uh, so I'm going to do this again. Uh, how many of you have ever had a mom or a wife or a, a, a woman, actually, tell you to do something without actually telling you anything? Okay. <laughs> They said it, not me. Uh, it's, their, their heads are, oh, it's so limited. Yeah, you know, what does that mean? The dog is hungry. <laughs> yeah. They have no more uh, chicken salad. I don't like chicken salad. Dear woman, what does that have to do with me? Yeah. And so you've then got to figure it out, right? And you got one of two choices. You can do nothing or you can do something. And you do nothing and you go home. At, well, you're on your way home from where they had no chicken salad and still have no chicken salad. And you're on your way home and from across the car, uh, it's a polar inversion that <laughs> is, is created inside the place. And you're going, uh, what's wrong? Not nothing. <laughs> this isn't about the chicken salad, is it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then three weeks later, you didn't go get the chicken salad when I told you they didn't have any. <laughs> this is so real. Or you do go get the chicken salad. And it sits there on the table and nobody eats any of it because I've already filled up on chicken salad. And they don't want any more. And you go, you know, I went to get that chicken salad that you told me to get. I didn't tell you anything. <laughs> they have no more wine. That's what Jesus' mother says to him. And... Uh, You know, Jesus is going, dear woman, and we, and we tend to think of him in terms of going, dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. But how about a little different reading, like, dear woman, why do you involve me every time? I didn't drink any of the wine, I'm Jesus. When I was at, when I was growing up in church, we used to have uh, 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 prayer request time during the during the service, and we, you know, who's got a prayer request, you know, and inv inevitably someone would go, "I have an unspoken request." <laughs> really? What is that? Well, it's an unspoken request. So, uh, mom goes ahead and presumes he'll do it anyway. The only time in Scripture where we see Jesus doing something that was not yet his time is right here. Um, in chapter 7, his brothers want him to go up to Jerusalem and do miracles so that people will believe in him because it's not my time yet. 
and, and yes, he does later go up to Jerusalem, but he doesn't do any miracles. He doesn't, you know, it's not his time for that. Chapter 6, they want to make him uh, king. It's not his time yet. So he won't let them go there, won't let them, won't let them do that. Why did he do something seemingly out of season? Yeah, Alan Smith got it right if he looked at my Facebook post today. Uh, may have something to do with Exodus chapter 20, <clears throat> verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. Um, we tend to ignore instructions from authority that we don't like and whitewash it with, well, God told me something else. And sometimes, if God did tell you something else, yeah, that's great. But you know what? There are times that he didn't tell you anything. You just don't want to do it. Now, I, I know that because I've, I've been there. Although it's been a while since I've used that phrase because I've learned, uh-uh. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And that is absolutely doing that. You know, when somebody says to me, God told me, that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. Now, maybe uh, there might be a rare occasion where God just put such a huge check in my spirit where I go, no, no, he didn't. Uh-uh, I'm sorry. But that rarely, rarely happens. You know, if God told you something and you tell me God told you to do it, I'm, I expect you to do it. What, what else are you going to do? You go, well, you know, God told me this, but I don't think so. Really, whatever God tells you to do, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Back uh, in the, uh, when I came to the Lord back in the mid-70s and was involved in theater pretty heavily, and a lot of you know the, my testimony, and you know that I was wanting to get out of it, and I just felt like this isn't where I'm supposed to be. You know, I need to go run and hide in the church. Uh, but and, and in fact, it was going at some point to be a time for that's what God wanted me to do because he, that's what he wanted me to do. Not run and hide, but I mean to get out of the theater. But uh, for a while I didn't. And the last thing, it took about, took about three years really for me to ex extricate myself from that situation. And the last thing that came along was um, I had told them I would direct a play and I just didn't want to do it. I mean, just, and, and directing a play is hard work. I mean, it's, it's a chunk. And, uh, I just, and we got to, get to getting close to it, and I went, you know, God, you either got to give me the desire to do this, or you got to get me out of it, or whatever. And uh, nothing was happening. It was, it was the week before I was supposed to hold auditions, and Margaret and I went to a Bible study, and the man who married Margaret and I was at the Bible study, and I took my problem to him. I said, you know, what do you think I ought to do about this? And he said, well, have you ever, have you ever read Psalm 15, verse 4? Blessed is the man who swears to his own hurt and does not retract. Well, well I have now. And probably I'd read it before, but I mean, let's just say he put it in context. And I went, okay. You know, I mean, I don't know. I don't really want to do this, and I don't know if I'm supposed to do this, but I do know that if I give my word about something, I need to follow through. I need to be there and do it. So I went, yeah, okay, that's, that settles it. I'll do it. Uh, God got me out of it. He shut the theater down, and they didn't do the play. But, uh, <laughs> but even if he hadn't, 
That's hearing from God. Do whatever he tells you is what his mom said to the servants. And that's the key. That, that is the key to a successful and, and, and blessed life. There are a lot of false keys that we run after. A lot of false keys that we use. Uh, one of the false keys that we use is what makes the most money. Especially in our culture. You know, there's, there are uh, so many of the decisions that people in our culture make are totally informed by where is the money. You know, follow, follow the money. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever take the job that pays more or uh, something like that. But I'm just saying that's not the right question. 1 Timothy 6.10 says some people eager for money have fallen away from the faith and have been pierced with many griefs. Some people eager for money have ended up where they shouldn't be and they don't believe anymore. Some people eager for money have ended up in, have been led to places where relationships are broken, have been led to places where there's, yeah, a lot of stuff, but a lot of emptiness in their lives and, and a lot of grief. So that's not the right question. Um, another question that often is, what is the easiest? Now, I know nobody here ever chooses based on what's easiest. But some people do. I've heard rumors of such people. And then there's actually the other side. What is the hardest? If it's God, it's got to be hard. I've got to choose the thing that I hate the most. Because that's what God's going to make you do. Really? Is that the same God who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? So it's not, you can't make the decision based on what's easiest or what's hardest, depending on which way you're wired to, which proclivity you have in your own life. But we have a tendency to do that. But that's, that's, not, that's not the key either. Moses didn't want to go back to Egypt. Uh, that was hard, but it was the right thing to do. Joseph didn't want to be sold into slavery. That's hard. Uh, uh, that, was, that was the right thing to do. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. It's the right thing to do. And sometimes our decisions are based on what's going to please the most people. Um, Chariots of Fire is one of my favorite movies. It's in my top five. And, uh, you know, there are a bunch of lines that I love. But one of the lines that I love is where uh, Eric Little's dad is talking to Sandy, who's, the, uh, who's wanting Eric to go run in the Olympics. He says, the Lord never stands for re-election, Sandy. The Lord never stands for re-election. Where would Moses be if he had put things to a vote? If he had tried to please people? Well, he wouldn't be in the promised land. That's for sure. I mean, we're, we're, we're wired that way because we live in, in a democracy. And I'm, I'm not saying democracy is bad, but I'm saying that's, that is so ingrained in us and we want to please people, and we want to make people happy, unless we're like, you know, from New York or something, in which case we just <laughs> tell people what we think, and, you know, away they go, you know. Don't know what happened to those people up there. Uh, but 
We're, and especially in the South, we're, yeah, we're really, we're subject to this. Mm -mm. But that's not, in fact, John, Jesus said over in John 5, uh, 44, how can you believe if you accept glory from one another? If you're trying to please one another instead of trying to please God, that puts a, that puts a quietus on your being able to believe and hear what he has to say. And we also often like to make our decisions based on what I like the most. Would you like fries with that? No, I want an apple. I'll take the fries. And, we, and, and our consumer mentality moves over into every area of our lives. And we make, we make a choice about going to church because we like the preacher or we like the worship or we like the building or we like the people. And all of those things are good, especially the preacher. But none of them are the right reason. All of it should be based on what has God told me. What, do what he tells you to do. And the only way you can do that is to learn to recognize his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, the stranger's voice they won't listen to. Well, how do you learn to recognize his voice? The same way you learn to recognize anybody's voice, you listen to it a bunch of times. Seriously. I mean, the more you hear somebody's voice, the more, <laughs> you know, the older, <clears throat> the older I get, I'm beginning to realize that I may not look like I did 30, 40 years ago. And sometimes that'll happen. I'll, I'll, I'll run into an old friend or something, and I'll, um, and, we'll, and, and I'll hear this fairly often. I didn't know who you were until I heard the voice. I go, well, I don't know what's interesting about this voice. I hear it all the time, but you, you know what it is. Oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how do you hear his voice? I've never heard God's voice. Yes, you have. You, you've heard God's voice. You just didn't recognize it. You just didn't know what it, what it was. Oftentimes, it's, it's God speaks to you oftentimes through other people. Some of you have been God's voice in my life. Wade Hutcherson's been God's voice in my life. No way long time. There have been times God's used him to speak into my life. When we were in uh, Zimbabwe, I went in to talk to Ezekiel Goody, and some of you know this story, but it applies so well here. And I was upset about uh, an issue, a thing, and I was in the right. I mean, I'm standing here 30 years later telling you I was in the right. And I went in to let him know that I was in the right and, you know, what the issue was. And I got about two sentences into it, and he goes, you have bad spirit. And it was the voice of God. I mean, it went, went oh, you're right. I do. I'll tell you another way you, uh, you learn to recognize God's voice. You like, you know, maybe read the Bible. Because that's how he speaks to us. Recognize what it is. And often what he tells us to do is so simple. Filling those Filling those water jars were something these guys did almost every day. It was something they did all the time. It wasn't something weird. It wasn't something uh, unusual. But something you do all the time combined with 
Christ's instructions can lead to extraordinary results. I, I mean, I, I've certainly whiffed on my share, but it's remarkable how many times I'll hear somebody say, man, God told you to call me today. And I'll go, yeah, he really, he actually did. God told you to come and visit today. And I go, yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. And there are times that God will tell me to do something like that. I call people all the time, but sometimes I'm just calling them. Sometimes God said call them. And, you know, I'll wrestle with it and kind of go, oh, okay, well, you said to call them, I'll call them, you know, or, or whatever. It's just being sensitive and oftentimes, but the thing is when he's, he's telling us to do something that's very simple, the enemy will try to put confusion in there so that we're sort of going, uh, oh, no, 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 I shouldn't, no, that's not, that couldn't be, nobody will miss it if I don't do that. Well, not here, but in eternity. They absolutely might. I want to talk about the miracle that happens here. And, and, and I want to talk just a minute about the nature of miracles because Jesus' miracles and the Old Testament miracles, for that matter, are, are not of a fantastical variety. You know, if you read uh, um, other religions and stuff, oftentimes the, the, the miracles that happen are just, uh, you know, 40,000 golden pixies dancing on the lawn and being destroyed with, uh, you know, uh, anti-pixie material, something. And that's not, uh, and I know, you know, there are some fantastical things uh, in Daniel and in John in particular, but in, the, in those visions, when they're explained, they're explained, you know, these are representations of this. You know, the, that, that leopard and Daniel 7 with four wings and, and four heads that's flying across the ground. That's, that's the kingdom of Greece. That's, uh, that stands for that. And things of that nature. But the great doings, the things we would look at and call miracles of, of God's servants and His Christ are not the fantastical variety. They're really kind of the natural kind. But they become miracles because of their timing and exactly when they happen and what they accomplish and perhaps the time frame in which they happen. They maybe get speeded up a little bit. Everybody knows Moses parted the Red Sea. I mean, you saw the movie, right? And, and you know, and in the movie, you got all this jello going up and, and uh, Red Sea opening up. Bible says God sent a strong east wind. And the wind blew on the water enough that it, that it separated does that ever happen in like nature yeah really does elijah called fire down out of heaven on mount carmel and it you know set this altar of fire well you know fire falls from heaven all the time it's falling right now somewhere in the world I mean, lightning you know meteors just happened to fall at the exact time that the prophet of God said, let it fall, on the exact place that he said, let it fall. Now that's a miracle. When uh, Korah and his group rebelled against Moses, the earth opened up and, and swallowed them up. Earthquakes, sinkholes, just happened to happen at the right place at the right time. And Jesus, the miracles that Jesus did, healing people, you know, Doctors don't heal people. Medicine doesn't heal people. Yeah, your, your body heals people. 
and uh, heals you. I don't know if it heals other people, but it heals you. And, uh, and God created that, and he put those, those, uh, those forces into motion in there. And the truth of the matter is, people are being healed all the time. But if someone reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment and instantly gets healed, now that's a miracle. But it's the kind of stuff that already happens. Multiplying loaves and fishes. How, how do you think farmers and fishermen make a living? Happens all the time. You know, food gets multiplied. Grain becomes more grain. Fishes become more fishes. Turning water into wine. Happens all the time. Every year it happens. It just doesn't always happen in the course of an instant. But you put water into a, into a clay or stone jar and water goes into the ground and wine comes out. Say, I got one for you. What about walking on the water? Hmm? Yeah. All of us have done it. Yeah. yeah, you ever heard of ice? I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that you know Jesus. Would, there's ice. There's there's that ice flow there. You know, I'm not saying that he did that. But I'm just saying, you know, these are these are things that are that are that are natural things that that can happen. They're miraculous because of their timing. And boy, did God have some timing here. Ephesians three twenty says this: Not to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. The God who's able to do immeasurably more. There were six stone water jars there, and they each held between 20 and 30 gallons. And so that's, if you do the math, those of you who've been in financial peace, uh, that's between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. Uh, let's just split the difference, say it's 150. Now, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but uh, I, I'm, how many people were at the party, I certainly don't know. There were at least 14, Jesus and his disciples, well, 16, Jesus and the 17. Okay, there were, there were, there were okay, uh, but I don't know exactly how many were there. And, um, uh, but that's a lot of wine. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that a gallon of wine can probably take care of 10 people. You reckon? At least? So unless there were well over a thousand people at this party, I'm going to say there was some left over after Jesus got through doing this miracle. And when Jesus fed the 5,000, you know what? There was some left over. When he fed the 4,000, there was some left over. When the children of Israel would go out in the mornings to gather the manna, after they would gather all the manna that they, that they needed, there was some left over. When the sun would become hot, then it would, it would dissolve and leave the ground, but there was always some left over. And that's how God is. His mercies are new every morning. We get up in the morning and, and we're so grateful. Wow, brand new mercies today. Fresh start, Lord. And then we blow it. And then we have breakfast. 
And then we blow it a few more times, and a few more times, and a few more times. And oftentimes by the end of the day, we're kind of going, oh man, I can't wait for tomorrow and those new mercies again. But you know what? No matter how much you blow it throughout the day, there's still mercy left at the end of the day. You know, I, it, there's, <laughs> there's always mercy left at the end of your sin. That doesn't mean, you know, well, all right, I can just go sin all I want to. No, that's no fun. Uh, that, that's no way to live. But there's always mercy left at the end of it. Because he's a God who does exceedingly abundantly above. We get to the last part. The guys served the water that's turned into wine. And you know what he says here? He says, everybody I know, this is, the, this is the message Bible. Everybody I know begins with their finest wines, and after the guests have had their fill, brings in the cheap stuff. But you save the best till now. And, of course, that's often misquoted as you save the best till last. But there are no translations that say that. None. They'll say now. My dad, when I was growing up, there was a chorus he used to sing all the time. And, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, most, uh, you know how your, your parents will do stuff when you're growing up and it just aggravates you? And then you get older and you appreciate it. You kind of go, yeah. But he, he would sing this little chorus that goes, <clears throat> and, you know, it seemed like every chorus we did in those days sounded like a marching band. But it went, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before every day with jesus i love him more and more jesus saves and keeps me and he's the one i'm waiting for every day with jesus is sweeter than the day before and he meant it Because he had discovered that it was true. That's right. You save the best for now. And, I mean, yeah, let's be real. Not every day is a woo-hoo kind of day. You know, some days are a real drag. But C.S. Lewis makes an observation that, you know, I, I, can't necessarily, I can't necessarily scripture it prove it but boy it just rings so true with me he he theorizes that those who are damned those who end up in hell will look back over their life and realize i've always been in hell and those who are redeemed those who are in heaven will look back over their life and realize i've always been in heaven that the power of redemption and the power of damnation works backwards and forwards in our lives. And the reason why I say I, I can think that it's true, when I came to the Lord in my mid-20s, because of the religious culture that I grew up in, for, for a while I struggled with, oh, those wasted years that I threw away where I could have been serving the Lord. And now here I am, 40 years later, I look back and go, those years weren't wasted. God was there the whole time. 
he was doing stuff the whole time. He, he was preparing me and preparing things and putting things together in my life. Wow. And I got a feeling the further that I go, the more I'm going to see that. Save the best until now. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Hungry? Thirsty? Missing the party? Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he ends up even destroying the stuff that you thought was good when you initially got into it. But I have come that they might have life have it to the full would you stand with me for those who are going to uh, pray with people come forward this morning and if you if you need prayer for anything there's plenty of grace there's plenty of mercy you need forgiveness and and after and after you get yours there's going to be some left over you know another another place in scripture that really uh that really nails me on this is when the uh when the prodigal son comes home and the father throws a party for him and uh the elder son is is mad he's upset you never gave me a party you know and he's going you've always had me everything i have is yours see in god the more somebody else gets, that doesn't mean there's any less for you. There's plenty for them, there's plenty for you, and once y'all get all yours, there's plenty for me. If you need something, you come. If you need to meet Christ, we'd love to introduce you to him. If you don't need to come, let this, sing this song with us, because it's real. It's real. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the Savior.
at somebody next to you and say, I need to change. You know, if you didn't mind saying that, that's great. If you did mind saying that, you really do need to change. <laughs> Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world as an example to us, to give us abundant life, may he give you the grace to do, to get out there and do what he tells you to do through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.